Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, this is Monique. And this is Sydney. And you're tuned into Monique and Sydney's Open, Open Relationship. Relationship. It's going to be the type of conversations that normally we're afraid to have out loud. Is it okay to be gay? Friends. How many of us have them? Mother and daughters. Is it always all bad? The mind's like a parachute. It's no good unless it's open. <laughs> That's what's up. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello, my loves. Hello. Listen, okay? Talk to me. I'm going to say that every single time we open up this show, may it be on Periscope, may it be on the radio, may it be on TV, I'm always going to say it like that. That's it. Because when you say hello, 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 my loves, everyone listening feels like you're talking personally to them. Because that's how I felt when Miss Sally did it on Romper Room. Get it. She was talking right to me. That's what's up. Hey, Daddy. Hey. How you doing today, my baby? Super fantastic. I am doing super fantastic, too. And that's awesome to hear. Oh, baby, this is going to be a show today, as all the shows are. And the reason why we absolutely appreciate Monique and Sydney's open relationship, because it is that show that says we are unafraid. We are fearless. And it is that show that we really believe our community. When we say our community, we say the world as being our community. It is time that we get comfortable with the truth. Comfortable with the truth. And the day we're going to produce the truth, we're going to have an incredible lady. Some would call a whistleblower. Others would say truth teller. That is going to be on our show today. She is the author of the letter that we had read last week thrown under the bus with regards to Isaiah Washington, and her name is Miss Kimberly Clayton Hirschman. Welcome to the show, Ms. Hirschman. Thank you. Thank you. How are both of you? We're doing super fantastic. How are you doing today, Ms. Hirschman? I am doing well. I'm doing well. It's raining here. I don't know if it's raining there. It's pouring here, so that's not good, but I'm doing well. <laughs> Well, we, we want to take this time out in this moment to say thank you very much. Thank you. For coming on the show and sharing. Your story, absolutely. And before we get into it, I thought it'd be fitting that the listeners get an opportunity to know the background yes. of Miss Hirschman. And it's not some, you know, willy-nilly outsider that is uh, speaking out of turn, that really has no insight. So to give you a little background, number one, Ms. Hirschman's been in the entertainment industry for 22 years, okay? First as a creative executive, then as a production attorney, finally as a business affairs executive since the year 2000. Now, prior to the entertainment industry, she worked as a corporate slash security attorney, securities attorney. She's also graduated cum laude from the prestigious Yale University, and she is also a graduate of Yale School of Law. So, again, without further ado, Ms. Hirschman. <laughs> we we, we got to clap it up for We got to do it. Yeah, we just got to get, you know, because, you know, the credentials are strong, okay? You know, you, you graduate from anywhere, and that's a positive thing, but... You know, one of the oldest institutions in the world, that means there's a level of work that was put in. But we might as well just get on into it. Let's get into it, baby. The first question would be, what is it exactly that first made you reach out to Isaiah? Hmm. Well, um, when I reached out to Isaiah, I was no longer working for the studio. What had happened had happened. Um, my, my efforts, uh, and and I had just joined Twitter, and one of the first tweets that I saw was a tweet where Isaiah was offering support to Terry Crews, and Terry Crews had talked about what had happened to him, and which was courageous for Terry to speak up, but then to see Isaiah 
you know, I, I didn't know this, this actor personally at all. But then to see Isaiah speak up when he didn't have to speak up, it, 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 it hit me. And I said, I need to somehow reach out to this person and let him know, let him know what was going on and forces that were working against him and to, you know, to the extent that it meant anything, me, but to offer, you know, my support, but to let him know what was going on in his case and, you know, and, and, and at this company. Got you, got you. Now, when you wrote this letter to Isaiah, just from your own perspective, one can assume, but what exactly did you mean by he was thrown in the bus? Thrown under the bus. Throw, that's even worse. Okay, because okay, he was thrown in it. He was thrown in it. Then he's just a passenger. So <laughs> Then he just wrote on that's it. That's right. <laughs> he was thrown under the bus. What exactly did you mean by that, and how exactly did you find that out? Well, let me say, first of all, that uh, I just want to be very clear that that letter is not a letter that I disseminated. Uh, you did make me aware of it when you received it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's just important to know. Um, I, I don't want to talk about that comment, per se, uh, because that comment was not stated by me. Mm-hmm. Uh but I am comfortable comfortable talking about the specifics of what I did in the course of my job. Okay. What was it that during the course of your job that would allow you to see that there was bias as it pertained to Isaiah Washington in this regard? Well, well, first, first, when I was there, my, my job as a business affairs executive was to cover all of Shondaland. Any shows, Shondaland, the production entity, whatever was going on, all of her projects and deals. At this point, uh, at, at, in, in terms of Isaiah, I got a call from our casting executive on the show saying, Kim, uh, the producers want to bring back Isaiah and, and T.R. Knight onto the cast. And it was, we were excited. When I heard it, I was excited. Creative was excited. Casting was excited. Producers were excited. You know, what we knew is that the show was on the bubble, and it was a brilliant idea by Shonda and or Alan Heinberg, whoever had that idea. It was a brilliant idea. And uh, would put rumors to bed about Isaiah, would put rumors to bed about PR and Isaiah not getting along, etc. But the casting, now this was not a deal that I would do because this was a recurring guest. And, you know, I, there were specific deals that I would do and specific deals that would just be done by casting. Okay. The casting said, we are being told that we cannot hire him. Can you please look into this? So that's how I got involved. I didn't even know prior to that that this was going on. So when I heard this, I went to my department head. It's fine. And I said, uh, I'm, you know, we're being told that we can't hire Isaiah uh, for the catch. Do you know what's going on? And, you know, Howard's comments for me were, yes, we absolutely cannot. Uh, you know, we have a problem with this actor. We don't want to bring him back. We wouldn't have him on the set, et cetera. And I may be paraphrasing slightly. Don't completely quote me. Absolutely. But I, I then said... I'm doing my job and asking objective questions. I then said, didn't we bring him back four years ago, whatever number of years it was, as a guest for Sandra O's final episode? And why did we do that? And he said, well, that was a huge exception. And when we did that, we had to have security because of him. We had to hire security. So I said, okay, wow. I went back to casting. And I said, uh, you know, that was an exception when we brought him back four years ago. And, uh, in fact, security had to be hired. And at this point, I'm told this is not correct. Um, I am told there were no concerns uh, about Isaiah from 2007 behavior. And I'm told 
with regard to bringing him back for the guest episode, you need to talk to the creative exec who was, at the time, over the show. So I reached out to the creative exec, and I asked her, and I said, was there security? And she said, yes, there was security, but the security was bought, brought there because of Patrick. And at that point, I said, what? And she explained that the concern was based on Patrick. And, ju- and, and just for the individuals who may not know who Patrick is, she's speaking about the actor Patrick Dempsey. Correct, correct. Okay. The security was brought because of Patrick and, uh, and his behavior. Uh, and so when I went back to my boss and said, so, you know, I've learned that, you know, there was no problem. Security was not brought there because of Isaiah. The next response was, listen, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you right now, no one will even hire him. So if no one will hire him, Kim, then obviously something is wrong. So, And, and I'm sorry, just for clarity... Who was this that was saying this to you? My department head. Who was? Department head, I'm Howard sorry. Devine. Howard Devine. My department head, Howard Devine. Gotcha. So I went back to casting, and I said, well, you know, this is the reality, and if it's true, it makes sense. You know, something must be going on because no one will hire him. And casting said to me, wait a second, I, 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 I think he's working. He goes, let me look into this. And he looked it up, and he said... He's on the CW's The 100. He's been on here for a number of seasons, so let me call over there. Casting called over to the CW. They spoke to executives there and informed our casting, the studio's casting, that Isaiah was a thoughtful man's actor, a real professional, a joy to have. So at this point... And I, and I apologize again because your uh, voice kind of went out. If I could trouble you, if we could trouble you to repeat that, please. Isaiah was a working man, a thinking man's actor, mm-hmm. a joy to have, um, a thoughtful actor, an asset to the cast. I mean, they she went this this cast this person from the CW went on with many many compliments. Wow. About Isaiah. Okay. Uh, and about working with him. And it had been four years at that point, so it wasn't a guest episode. It wasn't a season. It was four seasons. So casting conveyed this to me. And when I then went back to my department head and said, well, actually, and the interesting thing is he was working for a company that the president of that company had been the president of our studio at the time when this firing happened, Right. Wow. So, are you understanding that? Yes. So, the person who hired him, if he was difficult in 2007, would not have brought him over there because he had been the president of ABC Studios, who is now the president of the CW. Wow. So, I went back to Howard, and I said, he's actually been working. And Howard said to me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Corporate legal is not going to let this happen. So, you know, I think I am too much type A. I believed in my job perhaps too much. Um, But at that point, I reached out and, you know, had the appropriate conversation. Upon having the appropriate conversation, I went into a staff meeting and uh, explained that I need to write up what I would call a due diligence report, but basically write up the facts as I had learned them so that this, no lo- this would no longer happen again. You know, at this meeting, I had never seen this. I-, I had seen this person with a temper. I had never seen the temper directed at me. And it was basically, and at this point, by the way, the job was gone. The job was gone. There was no longer any urgency. This was just a matter of making sure this didn't happen in the future. Okay. Uh, so the person was, Livid, livid with me. Uh, I did not know what I was talking about. Clearly, there was still a problem. Why are you doing this? You don't know what happened. You wasn't. You weren't. You weren't here at the time. And 
you know, and I create a status report. We all do. That weekly goes through everything that we are responsible for. So on this status report, it said, you know, the due diligence memo for the appropriate person regarding Isaiah and TR for the show The Catch. And so at that meeting, which was uh, right before my boss went on vacation, I was going on vacation the following week, uh, I changed my status report. had a very busy, time-sensitive week before I went on vacation. I changed my status report to not time-sensitive, but obviously, you know, I'm assuming, of course, we still have to write this up because this is truth. This is, these are facts. So, so, so I guess, you know, to tell you, I, I can't, I didn't coin or state that phrase, um, but factually that is what happened. Got you. Got you. Now, let, let me ask you something, Ms. Hirschman, because I'm, I'm a part of Hollywood. And there was something that you said, and I just want you to explain it to us. When you say that the plantation mentality in Hollywood, what you're paid is a gift, what does that mean? Well, I guess what I will say is, you know, I've worked in this business for more than a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Um, I have worked at a number of studios. Um, this is the first time I've never, I am sorry, I'm having a little text come in from one of my teenagers. I'm going to ignore that. I, I, I have never had my judgment questioned in doing a deal. I have never had my professionalism questioned. I know in making a deal, I look at our budget. I look at our quotes. I look at the person's, I look at the person's precedent. I look at the person's quotes. I confirm the person's quotes. You know, I never go beyond or give more than a producer wants. I work within that person's quotes, producer's desires, studio precedent. So this was the first time in my professional experience working as a business affairs exec that I had ever encountered uh, a, a knowing history. I had ever encountered what I do call a plantation mentality because what I found when I said, you know, what you're paid is a gift, uh, what I encountered, and I can just give you a couple of examples, uh, cast members on a long-running series, cast members of color not being given a raise in three years. That's, that, that's unprecedented. That's, that, that's unheard of. And then when the deal is, 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 we're trying to make the deal, person making this deal, these deals, by the way, I am the person that reps are reaching out to behind the back, the, you know, behind the scenes to say what's going on. But when I speak up about this, I am told who else is going to hire them. Come on now. And I was very surprised. I said, well, to myself, how is this different from any other actor? Why are these, they, they've been on a series for a decade, three years with no raise when others are getting them. Um, so to me, that is a racist dog whistle. I don't know how else to describe that. Can you repeat you know, that again? When you said it was a racist. It's a racist dog whistle. There you go. I, I don't know how else to describe it. You know, and, and, and when I say this, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, we're talking about cast members. You know, it's, it's, it's down to your administrative people. It's down to your executives. In my own experience, you know, I, I got there and I hired an assistant I worked with years before, an experienced assistant, but who, who hadn't been working for a while, taking care of her family. And I hired her and compensated her at the appropriate rate. And I had to go through Howard's number two in the department uh, to get approval for that compensation. And I got it. The workload that we had was 
so inordinate that this person couldn't handle it, and the person left. So then I had my second assistant. So the first assistant was a non-person of color, a white female. Uh, My second assistant was an African-American woman, a person of color. My second assistant was also an attorney, uh, so extremely qualified. And the work that we did, it was, she was an amazing, she was amazing. She was phenomenal. Um, And when I tried to get her the same salary because she was doing the same job, I was told that I couldn't. And, you know, this was a couple of years ago. This was Obama administration. And I said, but I think that we have to pay under federal law. I think that we have to pay people the, the same amount if they're doing the same job. And she's doing a better job. And that person said, well, that law isn't enacted now. Uh, and, and that person said, well, I'm going to have to talk to Howard about that, uh, about this. Um, well, that assistant uh, was fired. That assistant, not by me, that assistant was was fired uh, by the company, an assistant who had been working for other executives for years prior to this. Um, And the assistant didn't complain about the salary. It was was just trying to pay the assistant the appropriate amount. But we we can go beyond this, which really, I think, made things stand out for me working in my office and Disney had a, a, an event for executives for the, all of the, all of the full-time assistants. And, you know, I was still working and our assistants in business affairs sat in a bullpen. So all of the assistants you could see in the middle. And I walked out of my door to get a soda or something. And I saw all of the, people of color, assistants, they all happened to be black females, and they were all sitting there. And I said, you ladies here, why don't you go and enjoy yourself? And they said, oh, we can't go. And I said, what? And they said, because we're all pimp. And I'm like, wait, wait, excuse me? And you have a Yale graduate there. You have two attorneys who are working as temp assistants. You have very qualified five women, very qualified. Um, and you have the other assistants who were gone, who some had not gone to college, the non-people of color assistants. Um, and, and, and just so you know what the difference is, a temp assistant does not get benefits. A temp assistant does not get any of the perks that you are given. So when I say that it is a plantation mentality in terms of, what you are paid uh, is a gift. That, 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 it, it, it's just my observation in viewing what, 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 what occurred. You said earlier that the young lady who was your assistant had no problem with her salary and she said nothing. However, did you notice if there was a double standard for those who may have been of color who may have stood up for themselves? Well, you, you weren't able to stand up for yourself, I guess. It's not that she, she would have worked because, frankly, she and, and the hours that she worked and what she put in, she believed in what Shonda was doing and that it was bigger than her that it was important for the country, that it was important for the world. So, of course, the only way that she could request a salary was by going through her boss. I was her boss. So when I say she didn't have a problem, uh, and when I say, and, and as far as the other women of color, did they all? I mean, first of all, she wanted to be a permanent assistant. Uh, it's only your boss that will stand up for you and really go to the number two in Howard Devine's department, Jackie Grunfeld, and say, uh, this is what I'd like to pay. And ultimately, that decision is hers as to who is paid what. That makes sense. You know, when you see the, you just see the disparity Mm -hmm. in a place called Hollywood. And again, Ms. Hirschman, we have to say thank you. Thank you. And, you know, for a minute, it feels like when people of color do speak out, 
it's this thing of we'll blackball you and we'll sit you down and we'll shut you up. And that's sending a signal out to everybody else, letting them know, do you see what happens when you open your mouth? So what is it? I'm I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm agreeing with you. And I'm saying uh, we're talking about Hollywood, but, you know, unfortunately, and, 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 and in talking about this, this is in other industries yes. as well. Yes. But, but it is true, you know, that what I have seen and experienced is, you know, you, you, you must never complain. You must never stand up for yourself. And if you do, you are labeled as difficult, angry, demanding. But that, again, just another racist dog whistle. You know that, and, and that's that. What's interesting when I when I uh, learned about what happened with Isaiah and the catch, and offer that went out to him, and what was what what had what was stalling had initially stalled his deal is that Isaiah, when he went back for Grey's Anatomy, took. And for the guest episode, took an incredible, incredible pay cut. I mean, forget what he was making in 2007. Took a small guest compensation role. And that that episode was one of the highest rated episodes, I believe, for Grey's Anatomy when he came back for Sandra O's send-off. So now you go to four years later, and that so that is... Just to go back, that is now his precedent as a guest at ABC Studios. That's what we rely on. So now you go four years down the road, and they ask Isaiah to be on the catch for a series of guest episodes, and they ask him to take a further pay cut. And so by, you know, his reps rightfully so, and this is what we do, your reps, you know, will say to me, this is our quote, this is our precedent, what's the logic behind um, and by him really, his reps really saying, you know, minimally match what he was paid four years ago, uh, that potentially, and I, you know, gets you labeled as being difficult and demanding and angry, I believe. I mean, I, I, this, the same things were said about, you know, same things were said about Shonda Rhimes. The same things were said about Shonda Rhimes when I started there. And Shonda, you know, is a person by the network's own words, the studio's own words, the company's own words, you know, basically paying everyone's salary. Uh, wow. Listen to that, y'all. Look at, if you look at the income that's coming in at Disney, you're getting this amount from ESPN. You're getting majority from ABC Studios, the television side. And the majority of that is coming from Shondaland shows. So the day that I went and went to an orientation, this was told to me. So I, without knowing previously, I know because the company is acknowledging that basically Shonda Rhimes is carrying the company. But when I, when I interview with, with Shonda, and this is before starting, when I interview with Shonda, you know, she says, I really need you to get in there because my work's not getting done. I need to know what's going on. I need to have somebody who's in there doing my work. And when I finally start, I am shocked at, number one, the things that are said about her, but number two, the fact that for six seven months, no one has been doing her work. And, you know, a little bit about the television industry, if you're in network television, there is a one-year sort of cycle. January starts pilot season. So you are very busy with pilots doing cast, directors, etc. And then when the pilots are picked up in May, you are staffing those shows. Uh, you may be reshooting pilots, but you're staffing. And then after that, the rest of the year you go into development. Now, because now there is year-round development, that may happen throughout that year, but you have very specific seasons in network. So I started in January. So when I started in January, I was starting to go into a very hectic pilot season. 
My job was to do the pilot director deals. My job was to make sure that all of the pilots that are picked up, their deals for the showrunners are signed. My job was to do the cast deals. And that is an inordinate amount of work. And especially Shonda doing the first pilot for a U.S. series ever produced in Spain. I mean, it, it was seven times the amount of work that you would normally have. So I go in expecting to do this, but I walk in and find out that deal requests for things that were critical for Shonda, by her words, her head writers for her top shows, those deals had not been done. They'd expired. Her writer-producers on her shows, those deals had not been done, that it expired. Her directing producer deal that she asked for had not been done. Shonda Land staffers that she had been asking her assistants, the people who were working in her company, those deals, those raises had not been done. And then the lead cast on shows where Shonda says, I can't do this if I don't have these cast members, those deals were not done. So, so I'm essentially walking in and being asked to do two jobs at once, <laughs> which is a crazy, crazy pilot season, but also the work that was not done before I got there. And, and, and you know, the interesting thing is, you know, the person not doing the work, Shonda fired that person. Fired that person was like, this person is not doing work, fired that person. That person is still at the company and was still at the company. Uh, and when I got there, that person was Howard Devine's number two, basically looked at me and said, we don't have to do those deals. Those deals don't have to happen right now. And I said, wait a second. In pilot season, you can't have your writer-producers being picked up in staffing season to go on another show. You can't have your head writers being picked up if they want to replace a showrunner. You certainly can't have your cast members being picked up in these pilots. But I was told, does not happen. What are you talking? So I went to my, my peers, my colleagues in the department, uh, and I said, so uh, have, have, have you closed the deal because I'm thinking, if I, I've been doing this for two decades. This is the first time I've heard anything like this. I said, have you closed the deal for your showrunners, your cast, your writer-producers, etc.? You're above the line for the shows that we believe are coming back. And they said, and, and this person looked at me as if I were insane and said, Tim, of course I did. So, so you know, that was uh, shocking. And I said, I, and of course you have Shonda saying, get these deals done, and that is the job that I am hired to do. So I, I luckily, and, you know, I will just tell you, luckily there was another practicing attorney, mature person who had come in, who I had known many, many, you know, uh, at least two decades ago, who came in uh, as, again, another temp, uh, they called her a paralegal. She was more experienced than other attorneys there. And she, ha- she had to assist me because this woman, Jackie Grunfeld, would not even provide me with the documents, the forms that I needed to draft the deal. And you have to have a document number. It's like a maze. And she spent hours figuring out where those, those forms were. But, 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 but it's not just the work that was done. It was the mentality of, you know, her book, Shonda Rhimes' book had come out before I started, and this executive saying to me, uh, you know, she thinks she's a star now, now that she has this book. Wow. Uh, another executive saying to me, who does, she, <laughs> who does she think she is? She needs to remember where she came from. And that one took me back. Back and you know, as it turns out, Shonda and I grew up in neighboring suburbs of, a, of, of, of Chicago. And so, when I heard this, I said, Well, 
I don't know what that means. She came from exactly the same place that I came from. And that executive shushed and walked out of my office. Um, you know, Shonda had an incredible virtual reality project idea that she wanted to do. And it was amazing because her ideas are amazing. Uh, and I'm in the office with my department head and someone in a department who is going a different department. And we're about to have a call on that project. And before the call comes, you know, my boss is dismissive and says she needs to just stick with her script, you know, basically stay in her lane. Uh, we have the call and it's an amazing call. And after the call, you know, my boss scoffs at it and thinks it's not a good idea and asks us. And, and you know, we are, we are like, it's, it's fantastic. It's great. Uh, and so I attempt to follow up on that conversation to move it forward. And I'm told, you don't need to do anything. Mm. You know, so it, 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 it is, it is. You know, you must never ask or expect what I experience as a person of color uh, for what is standard, for what is standard for non-people of color. Be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for what... It is a gift that we are giving you. And, you know, if not, uh, you know, we will we will make you go away. And mm-hmm. that's, that's really what... I thought you hit on some key points earlier that kind of relate to this, but can you give our listeners a little insight on how blacklisting someone can work in this very small, we, we say it's a small world, but the world of Hollywood is even smaller. Can you give folks a little insight as to how that may work? Well, I think I, I, I you know, I think it's any in any industry, perhaps this is a very small and close knit industry. So, if let's just let's just take ABC by way of example, ABC Studios. In in just the time that I was there previously, and the time that I was back, and an example of how this network, how small this web is, that starts in the middle and spins out. You have an ABC, former ABC production exec, who is now at Netflix, I believe the head of business affairs at Netflix. You have a former ABC business affairs exec who is now running business affairs at Paramount TV. You have a former ABC business affairs exec who is now the president of Sony TV. You have a former president of ABC Studios who is now the president of the CW. You have a former network head of business affairs who is now a president at Showtime. So think about this web. So if, in fact, someone is looking to hire you, what they're going to do is they're going to reach out to their colleague, their former colleague. They're going to just make a call. And if their former colleague chooses to say... This person was difficult, angry, demanding. And, and, and by the way, these are the same words that were used to blacklist women who were sexually compliant. This, 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 you know, in my letter, I say me too. And, and that's why I said that, because the same tactics are being used. And so by some. Uh, and the person reaching out may have no ulterior motive, may expect a true, let me know, give me a heads up. As in, our casting reached out to the CW, and the CW gave a very honest assessment of Isaiah's work on the 100. So this is what happens behind the scenes. But if that person uses, you know, angry, difficult, demanding, in the case of a woman, uh, dog whistle, if they use it in the case of a person of color, dog whistle, you know, your, your, your job disappears and you have no idea why, you know, and, and, you know, something for me is uh, that I, I will put out there my advice 
to young people coming up in this industry and other industries is that you never sign a release unless it's enough to support you for the rest of your life. Come on. Or unless you've decided that you are about to make a career change, that release is meaningless. It ties your hands, it shuts your mouth, and it has no effect on the company. Mm-hmm. Those within that web, they will talk regardless. Let us ask you this, because it, it, it would seem obvious, because it's kind of like, you know, when you go to school and you learn to do something a certain way, when you leave school and it's designed for you to execute your job, you execute obviously what it is that you've learned. So the tactics that were learned at ABC um, obviously allow those execs in the web that you spoke about to kind of pollinate the networks, if you will, with that old, I guess, boy system, if you will. Is that safe to say? Well, I, I think that I think that a lot, you know, of what is done is really subconscious. It's, you know, this is the way things are done. This is the way things are done. Um, you know, my hope in speaking up is that people will hear what actually happens, and it a light bulb goes out or on for them, and they realize that. This is no longer going to be the way that things are done. Come on. Um, but I, I, I do, I do agree uh, that you know you are taught, and if you are taught incorrectly, if you, you know, I, I'll, I'll just give an example. An example of if uh, an example of. Budget disparities. So before you even get into negotiating a deal, a studio prepares the budget for a pilot, for example. What I've seen is if the company knows that the characters are going to be people of color, the budget for those roles is actually smaller. You know, and and, and the instance that I experienced recently, you know, at the company, I assumed that we know these roles are going to be people of color. I assumed we were looking for unknown people because that would make sense. Unknown people, so that's why this role is budgeted. Uh, What I find is that we are looking at extremely successful actors who have credits that go back for decades, but we are trying to give them a pittance. And as the business affairs exec, I am put in a position where I have to talk to the reps for these seasoned actors and try to get them to take a peanut, a fraction, one-fifth of their quote Mm. for a pilot. Now, if they're a guest spot, maybe maybe they're going to take that because... They can get on another series, but I was actually asked not only to pay this peanut, basically calling them a guest, but then also to get a series hold on them. Mm. Nearly impossible. But if you have the view that who else is going to hire them, you know, if, if that's your mentality, then you're going to try to force this down their throat, as in who else is going to hire them. And, and, you know, what I found is one of the actors accepted it. You know, mm. money wasn't important. It was fun. Accept it. No big deal. What I found is, and, and mind you, these, these actors have to be in Los Angeles on a Sunday. I am given the actor's deals at 8 p.m. on a Friday. Uh, one of the actors says, Ab- absolutely not. Why would I work for that? This is an actor who lives on the East Coast. So whatever deal I close from 8 p.m. on Friday, I have to get them on a plane Saturday afternoon so they're here for a table read on Sunday. Wow. So I'm, I'm talking to this rep, and, and I agree with the arguments that he's making, but I am stuck with a budget. So being creative, I look at my budget, and I say we've cast 
everyone else. Most of these people are young. Their quotes are not high. I have incredible savings in my budget. So I have the ability, without going over budget, to give this person what they are entitled to. And by the way, they're not asking for what they're entitled to. They're just saying at least, and this is not the person, clearly this is the rep, you know, give me that which is fair, and I have to get this approved by my department head. So I reach out and I say all of the steps that I have taken, we are not over budget, the other person took it, we cannot get this person here, right? And I am told, no, 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 right? So I have to let on the land no. No, no, no. I can't, by the way, say the no is coming from me because I work for the company, but I have to let them know not. So it's, it's now about 4 a.m. in the morning, my time in Los Angeles. I've been on the phone since 8 p.m., and this rep is screaming at the top of the lungs, at, at the top of his lungs at me. And I, and I looked at him, and I, I, I got on the, phone, on the phone, and I said, you need to stop. I said, because I am trying to help you. I understand I am trying to help you. So please, just let me try to do what I'm doing. Let your client know I am trying to make this deal happen. So eventually, I am given the approval to do what I could have done in one hour, uh, and we are able to get this cast member there on Sunday for the table read. And, and I will tell you, the, the, the representative who has, is known for being very gruff and very aggressive, and God bless him for his client. He calls me up, and he says, when I am in Los Angeles, I need to take you to dinner. Because I have never had anyone, first of all, tell me, stop, stop yelling. But I've also never believed that somebody was looking after my client correctly and treating my client the way that other clients are treated. And I think, number one, that shows that yeah, we have a plantation mentality in Hollywood, you know. But number two, it, it, you know, it, it, it is unfortunate. I, I, it, it is unfortunate that people who are doing the deals, and everyone wants to keep their jobs, and everyone, but that they don't push back and do that which is, 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 is right and fair. And I will just say that in my job, my job is colorblind. It is regardless of color of your skin, it is regardless of your ethnicity, it is regardless of your sexual orientation, I look at the objective facts of your posts, your credits, the budgets that we have, and I work within it. So, um, so yeah, so there is a web. I don't know if I, if I, if I Monique, uh, lost what you were saying, but there is a web, there is a way that things are taught, and... You know, unfortunately, people who learn will take that elsewhere, subconsciously or consciously. The reason why we had asked that question, to kind of quote Paul Harvey and give the rest of the story, is because I don't know if the listeners picked up on what you had said earlier with regards to where people were in charge from a business relations standpoint and where they had been disseminated after they left ABC to pretty much carry on the mentality potentially of being taught wrong. But I think it's important to go back and just address by name that one of the individuals that worked at ABC in business affairs is a gentleman by the name of Brian Noon. Is that well, not- no, Brian... I'm I'm sorry, but Brian was production at ABC. He was he was very much a part of the environment and et cetera, but was in the production department. Is now in business affairs at Netflix. Correct. Okay, I'm I'm sorry to step in. No, I'm glad you did to, to clarify. And ironically, he's in business affairs at Netflix, where ironically, mm. the offer that Monique received. The offer that Wanda Sykes received, the there was just recently uh, a gentleman, Mr. Cherry, I believe, mm-hmm. who spoke in reference to him speaking out, uh, saying that he believed Monique 
addressing Netflix out loud is what allowed the show, is it Stranger, Stranger Things, Things mm-hmm. to receive a raise. This is a smash hit for Netflix, and they just received a raise after their third year that went from $25,000 an episode to now they make $250,000 an episode. So when you hear about an individual that used to work at a place called ABC, and I don't know this person, so I can't charge it against their heart. What we're saying is, based upon what we're seeing, it seems as if that mentality is being carried over. Because just to share a little personal story that we had, there's the president over at Warner Brothers. His name is Peter Roth. And we shared this story with you, so we'll share it for our listeners. And we had pitched a show to a lady by the name of Clancy Collins-White, who happens, just for a point of reference, to be a Caucasian lady. And we needed to have executive producer credits and the monies associated with it. And based upon us being award-winning executive producers, Miss Miss White felt that that was correct, but could not understand why Peter Roth, her boss, would not allow it. And we have the emails to prove it. Of course. Of course. And what happened was after speaking with Mr. Roth and myself, because she could not get it done for us and bless her too. And I I wanted to make sure that I said her color because we want to make sure that people understand we're going to play it fair Mm -hmm. and that this woman who sat and heard the pitch from Todd Latuchki, from David Talbert, Monique, and I, and loved the pitch, wanted to do the show, but the thing that held it up was the executive producer credits, and then we spoke to Peter Roth, who was in charge, and I spoke with him, and he shared with me this is the way he had been doing it for 40 years. And that even Michael Chiklis, who used to be the lieutenant, wanted executive producer credits on a show that he was doing. And there's another woman. Julie Dreyfus. Julia Louise Dreyfus. She wanted executive producer credits, but then she didn't get it until later on. And what I opposed to them was which one of them were award-winning executive producers when they came to you, though. And he said, well, that's not the point. Well, it is the point. So I say this to corroborate and speaks to everything that you're saying is something that we've experienced. And experienced it firsthand because, Ms. Hirschman, when you say that um, they don't get a raise till after the third season, right? Come on. Even Even when you have a hit show. I remember we were doing this show, me and a young lady named Countess Vaughn, and it was a show called The Parkers. And after the first season of that show, it was a bona fide hit. Well, it was my first introduction to Hollywood. So I go back to the executive producer at the time of that show, Mm -hmm. which was Sarah Finney, and to the gentleman that ran Big Ticket Television, which was Larry Little, Mm -hmm. and to my agents at the time I was with William Morris. I said, guys, this is a hit show. This is passing numbers that anybody thought it would pass. We need a raise. Oh, no, Monique, no, that's not how it works. You've got to wait to. I tell you what, next season, we're going to discuss it. We go into the second season. The show was a hit show. Knock it out the ball. I go back and say, okay, y'all, y'all said this season we was going. Well, you know what, Monique, the standard is you have to wait to after the third season. Now, by the time you get to the third season or past the third season, the money that they give you, you should have actually gotten that money in the first season. So now once you do a show and you're on for five years, right, and they say everybody, when I first got to Hollywood, Miss Hirschman, and I got the Parkers, I remember Dorian Wilson saying to me, who played the professor, you want to get the syndication, if this show getting a syndication, you set for the rest of your life. You encounters if y'all own a part of the show, y'all set for the rest of y'all lives. Well, Countess Vaughn and I do own a part of that show. And that show made a whole lot of money. But we're still being told that show made no money 
though it comes on every day somewhere around the world. And we have paperwork that shows that it made abundantly more than what the project cost to make over the five-year period. But that's for another day. And we want to give people a point of reference um, with regards to Howard Devine. If you guys get a chance, Google Bombshell ABC Studios memo is blatant blueprint to rip off foreign TV series. And it's through Deadline Hollywood by Nikki Fink on July 10th, 2008. And it may give someone some insight of the mentality because they actually let you read the email that he sent. And as a second point of reference, because you got to understand, Brother Isaiah Washington was fired for something that he did not say. And because he was describing what he was alleged to have said, they deemed him guilty. But go to Deadline Hollywood, again by Nikki Fink, August 11, 2010, about a producer named Mark Gordon. The title is Producer Mark Gordon Uses N-Word Twice at TV Pilot Table. Lifetime notifies ABC Studios this needs to be dealt with. Now, Brother Isaiah Washington let go. was let go based on a lie. And by any chance, do you know if this gentleman, uh, Mark Gordon, is still working? Are you asking me? Yes, ma'am. What, what I will tell you is, you know, first of all, going back, I'm going to take it a little bit back to the plantation mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that what I have learned is people of color, you know, are less valuable than their white counterparts, or less valued than their white counterparts, coworkers. Peers, I say this is evidenced in their pay and who's terminated and why and who is hired and in who has an automatic assumption of innocence versus guilt. Um, I will say, you know, becoming aware of that, which I was aware at the time, you know, Mark Gordon said something that was a mistake. He said the words. It was a mistake. He is still working. He is someone who I know, someone that I respect. He is, has not skipped a beat, um, a, good, a, good, a good person in Hollywood. Isaiah, what, to make the comparison, did not say a word, but never directing it at anyone, but said a word again. And in saying the word, when someone is attacking you, and this, mind you, was 11 years ago, we don't say those things now, nor would Isaiah say those things now. But you say, you know, I'm not your little B. I'm not your little P. I'm not your little F. People said those things. You need to step away from me as opposed to coming at me physically, which is what happened. Mm. It was never calling anyone that name, that phrase, that whatever. But, yes, this was used to quash whatever knowingly and willfully I am alleging <laughs> to destroy this man's career. Mm-hmm. And I allege that because to come back in 10 years later and hear this person saying it and saying ongoing negative things and me presenting the fact directly to the person and then me being aware not only am I presenting the facts to this person, I'm aware that they have been aware because people have been paid war payments, paid off for having to put up with this actor for a decade. Payments off the books, not in our budget. I look, I say, where is this? Where does this come from? Why is this not in our budget? Compensation to people who had to put up with Patrick Dempsey. Mm. Patrick Dempsey leaving and having deals made for him to go away, but yet this actor, and the only difference is it's a person of color, has their reputation besmirched, their livelihood taken away, and why? And I, I, this is what I don't understand. 
you know, why continue that lie when Shonda is bringing this person back? Shonda is bringing TR back. Minimally, give the man the quote that he had four years ago, which was already demeaning enough. Give the man that deal. We have that in the budget. Give the man that deal and let him go on with his life. Come on. So... So it, it, it is that it is that unfortunate, and I just stress that it is a plantation mentality that I stress again. My hope, my goal. What do I get out of this? I hope that in speaking out, the this is just the way that things have always been done. This is just the way that things are done. People will hear this and say wow, I didn't even realize that I was doing this. And or, I, wow, I have been doing this. But this is no longer going to be acceptable because perhaps others will choose to speak out about it. And to, to your point, also we wanted to bring out that there are people behind the scenes that are fighting that you never hear about because in this article regarding Mark Gordon using the N-word twice at TV pilot table read, it says exclusive. I've learned that Lifetime formally notified Disney's ABC studios that prominent TV and film producer Mark Gordon six weeks ago used the word nigger twice during a table read of the pilot for the Army Wives spinoff. He did it in front of cast and crew, including two African-American actresses, pilot Lee Gabriel Union, Gabrielle Union, Gabrielle Union, and Army Wives series regular Wendy Davis. Lifetime took the appropriate steps and notified the studio that this is a situation that needs to be dealt with. And it goes on to speak out how livid those sisters were. So you get an understanding to some degree of what goes on behind the scenes that nobody gets a chance to talk about and you talked about today. And we, we're going to have to have a part two because we're at the end of our hour. But, but it's, it's just something that I want to say that she said, and I'm not sure if the people heard it, dog whistling. Dog whistling. And there are certain words that people use that's a dog whistle that we know that that's known in the Hollywood community how you shut someone down. So I have to go back to this daddy because there's a man named Lee Daniels that went on the Don Lemon show. Come on. And he used those words. She was difficult and demanding. And when we hear Miss Hirschman say playing ball. And, and she that didn't was play the dog ball. whistle. She didn't play ball and she was difficult and demanding. Those are dog whistles words that's used to say shut her down. And for those that don't understand what dog whistle means it simply means that when you hear a dog whistle the dog hears it but you don't hear the sound Mm. and for us as people of color we don't hear the words that are being used to demean us but our white counterparts who are familiar with that understand exactly what they are saying and with that being said Ms. Hirschman, we can't thank you enough. We love you. We love you. We honor you. We appreciate your bravery and your courage. And what we would say for you to the world, keep standing. And we're going to bring you back because we know there's a little bit more to finish. But at the end of the day, we wanted the folks, because you can't see the comments that are coming in, but there are people that are saying, because of this conversation, I'm going to stand up. And there are people that are saying, because of what you're saying, I didn't want to listen to you at first, Monique, and I want to apologize. But now I understand. So don't think for one moment, because there are going to be some scared people around you, that what you did was in vain. Because what it's doing is allowing people to awaken their minds. And you hit it right on the nose. What we're not trying to do is call people out. What we're trying to do is call them up. up. So that they can wake up and realize, wow, this is actually what I'm doing. And if we kept silent about it, we're not giving these individuals, the Howard Divines of the world, the opportunity to be the best human beings that they could possibly be. Absolutely. Absolutely. We thank you ever well, so kindly. Was it something you wanted to close out with? I, I think that uh, you have said it all and I have said it all for now. <laughs> 
That's what's up. <laughs> Until yeah. we meet again, Miss Hirschman. Until we meet again. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so and much. And continue to do what you're doing. Thank I'd you, like sister. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. What an amazing, amazing show. And when you talk to people like Miss Hirschman, it lets you know that there are people that feel the same way you feel. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there that are saying, I got to stand. And not only feel the way that you feel, they have the evidence mm. to prove why they should feel that way. We're at our time, my love. We're at our time, Daddy. And uh, damn it, because it's, 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 it's so much. But we're hoping that the information that we're getting into our community, we take heed and we pay attention. And again, that's why we feel like Monique and Sydney's open relationship, this show is so important. Because what we're not doing is sugarcoating. We're giving it to y'all just like we're supposed to get it. Truth, honesty, and realness. So I want to thank y'all. I want to thank every ear, every heart, and every mind that was open to the show today. And like my daddy always says, the mind is like a parachute. It is no good unless it's open. We love y'all. For free. Mwah. Mwah. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.